Uh, last week, I, I gave you the nine pillars, the nine pillars that uh, this series is built on. If you, if you didn't get to be here last week and missed that message, go back on Facebook and look at it or go to our Hope in Christ Fellowship uh, YouTube channel and watch it there. But, but you, need, you need to get every one of the uh, messages throughout the series because they're building upon one another. And like I said, last week I gave you the nine pillars of the 2020 vision, 2020 vision, uh, refocusing our lives, refocusing our lives. Again, I gave you the nine pillars last week. Today we're going to be looking at learning to think like Jesus. One of the nine pillars that I shared with you last week uh, was having the mind of Christ, having the mind of Christ. And if there's ever been a time in history that God's people need to have the mind of Christ, it's today. It's okay if you shout amen right there. If there's ever been a time that we need to be thinking like Jesus, having the attitude of Jesus, having the actions of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, it's today. And we're going to be talking today, how, how can we learn to be more like Jesus? Today, what we'll do is we'll use this message as an index, if you will, for the entire rest of the series. So as we go, it's very important to be here week in and week out. It's very important to watch if you watch from home and uh, keep track of this series building upon itself, 2020 vision, refocusing our lives. Today, what I want to do is give you 10 principles. I gave you nine pillars last week. Today, I want to give you 10 principles and then in the upcoming messages, what we'll do is we'll dig into each of these deeper and deeper and in greater detail. In the Old Testament book of Isaiah, that great prophet of God, Isaiah, in chapter 40 and verse 13, he asked a question. He says, who understands the mind of the Lord? Is that not a phenomenal question? Who can understand the mind of the Lord? of the Lord. And then we fast forward a couple of thousand years and the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians 2.16, he seems to answer that question. He says, we, say we, are you born again today? Are you saved? Are you redeemed? Have you been filled with the Holy Spirit? Well, we are those we, okay? Here's what the Apostle Paul says, who can understand the mind of the Lord, Isaiah asked. The Apostle Paul says, hey, we can understand these things. We can understand these things. Why? Because we have the mind of Christ. Because we have the mind of Christ. Now listen, just because you're saved, just because you're born again, just because you've been filled with the Holy Spirit doesn't automatically cause you to have the mind of Christ. Boy, I wish it did. I, I would love... I would love to have the mind of Christ 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 365 days a year, all holidays included, especially on the holidays, amen? But that's just not the way it works. We have to actively pursue the mind of Christ. We have to actively pursue that. So, so what exactly does it mean? For us as born-again believers, for us Christians, what does it mean to have the mind of Christ? 
It means we have the same thoughts as Christ thinks. It means we have the same attitudes as Christ has. It means we, we imitate his actions. It means we act like Jesus. To have the mind of Christ means that we think like him, that we act like him, that we live life the way Christ lived life. But listen closely. But listen closely. We can't become like Jesus without learning to think like Jesus. We have to learn to think like Jesus, and that's what it means to have the mind of Christ. Now, last week, again, we looked at those nine pillars of refocusing our lives, refocusing our thinking. Today, we're going to look at these 10 characteristics of a person who looks like Jesus. Now, I want you to do what I've done all week long. I've been taking inventory of my own life. And I've been taking God's Word and, and what I know about God's Word. And, and this is a mirror. Did you know you can use God's Word as a mirror? And you study the life of Christ. And then you look in the mirror yourself. And you compare the resemblance. Do, do I think like Christ? Do, is my attitudes Christ-like? Are my actions Christ-like? Is it undeniable when I interact with others whether I'm interacting face-to-face or on Facebook or on any other media outlet or on a telephone call uh, with family, with friends, with neighbors, with strangers. Anytime I interact with someone, is there a possibility that those folks scratch their head and say, hmm, I believe that guy knows Jesus. Not because of the title Pastor Steve Looper, but because they can tell that I think like and my attitudes resemble and therefore my actions come out of me in a Christ-like way. That's what we want to do through this series as we refocus our lives. How do we measure up to Christ-likeness? How do we measure up to Christ-likeness? Well, the first thing you have to do, the very first thing you have to learn, the very first thing you have to know if you're going to be Christ-like is this. You have to know exactly who you are. As you fill in the blanks, I know exactly who I am. Now think about that for just a moment. When I have the mind of Christ, the very first step in having the mind of Christ is I've got to know who I am. I've got to know who I am in the Lord Jesus Christ. I've got to know and understand God's perspective of me. I know who I am. For those that have been with us from the beginning of Hope in Christ Fellowship, you might remember the very first series of messages that I preached as the pastor of this newfound church was a sermon sermon series entitled, Who Do You Think You Are? My Identity in Christ. Do you remember that? Who do you think you are, comma, my identity in Christ. And I'm, I'm convinced to this day that God himself led me to preach that series of messages in the beginning to prepare us for the journey we was embarking on. Because if you don't know who you are, you're hopeless. You've got to know and understand who you are. What God was doing from the very first day, he was preparing us for the journey ahead. He was preparing us for the good times and the bad times. He was preparing us for the mountaintops, and he was preparing us for the valleys. Hey, When you know who you are, and especially when you know who he is, guess what? Everything else is going to take care of its own, isn't it? 
Absolutely. The very first thing you've got to do in order to have the mind of Christ, to think like Christ, to have attitudes like Christ, and to have actions of Christ is you have to know who you are. When I have the mind of Christ, I'm not confused about my identity. How's that, preacher? Well, because Jesus had no doubt about his identity. There was no unclear thinking in Christ's mind about who he was. He knew who he was. He knew whose he was. He knew what his mission was. He knew what his purpose was, and he stuck to it 100%. In fact, 18 times, at least 18 times in the New Testament, Jesus identifies himself to those around him. Would you look at these? I'm just going to give you a few. In John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. And he goes on throughout, as, as John chronicles the life of Jesus, in John 8, 12, Jesus says, I am the light of the world. I am the good shepherd. I am the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. He said, I am the true vine, and probably one of the most remarkable statements he made that was 100% true is found in Mark chapter 10. He said, I am the Son of God. Jesus knew who he was. Again, Jesus had no doubt about his identity, and guess what? God wants you as a child of God, God wants you as a believer, God wants you as a Christian to have it settled once and for all who are you? A child of God. A child of God. Listen, only our Creator can tell us who we are. Think about that for just a moment. If you really want to know who you are, ask God. Only your Creator, only, only the God who created you can tell you with full assurance who you are. We're living in a world that is as confused as a termite in a yo-yo. I'm telling you, in 2020, the world doesn't know the difference between up and down, left or right, horizontal or vertical. I'm going to leave it generic like that because I don't want to dive into that pool. If you want to know who you are, you ask God who you are. God will tell you in a heartbeat who you are. Why? He made you. He created you. The first step in realizing how to think like Jesus is we've got to establish who we are. Preacher, why is that so important? Because if you don't know who God made you to be, you're going to live your entire life spinning your wheels, never going anywhere. That's as plain and simple as I can put it. When you don't know who you are, you're going to go through life spinning your wheels, never accomplishing anything that matters. Problem number one, if you don't know who God made you to be, other people are going to tell you who you are. Huh? If you haven't settled the matter of who you are, other people are going to manipulate you drive you, push you, they are going to determine who you are. And it's not their job to determine that. Therefore, you're going to constantly be manipulated by the expectations of others. 
Problem number two, you'll, uh, you'll, you'll end up living a pretentious, fake, and phony life. When you don't know who you are, you're going to fake it until you make it. And the problem is, if you never find out who you are, you're never going to make it. You're never going to make it. You'll always be pretending. You'll always be faking it. You'll never discover who you truly are. And number three, when you're confused about who you are, it creates a great amount of stress in your life. When you don't wake up with purpose, you live a wasted day. When you don't know who you are, you live a wasted life. Stress happens. Stress happens when you try to be something that you're not. But, everybody say but. but. When we learn to think like Jesus, when we have the mind of Christ, when we know exactly who we are, Jesus knew exactly who he is, so we can know exactly who we are because God is the one that created us. So when I have the mind of Christ, number one, I know exactly who I am. Number two, when I have the mind of Christ, when I know who I am, I know God's purpose for my life. I know God's purpose for my life. Why? How can I know God's purpose for my life? Because Jesus knew his purpose for his life. Jesus knew exactly who he was. He knew exactly what he came to earth to do. He knew the calling upon his life. He knew without a doubt what his vision was. He knew what his purpose was. He knew what his goals were. These were all crystal clear to the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In John chapter 8, verse 14, Jesus said, I know where I came from, and I know where I'm going. Time out. Do you know where you came from? You may know that. That's an easy one. Do you know where you're going? That's fairly easy as well. I'm talking about the dash between the two dates, birth and death. Talking about the dash this morning. How much do you know about the dash? I know God's purpose for my life. Why are you here? 53 years, working on 54, God willing, we'll see it. What's my purpose? That's what matters. Knowing where I came from, knowing my date of birth, knowing where I'm going, I'm going home one day to heaven, in between, what is God's purpose for my life? That is so vital to know and understand. Jesus settled that matter very, very, very early in his life. In fact, the Bible tells us that by the age 12, by the age 12, Jesus had already developed a laser focus of who he was, what he was doing, and where he was going. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, Jesus at the age of 12 had been mistakenly left behind. His parents had gone ahead of him. He had been left behind at the temple. Mary and, Jesus, Mary and Joseph was returning uh, back home. They were traveling in two separate parties. And all of a sudden, they look around, and Joseph can't find Jesus, and Mary can't find Jesus. So they turn around, and they go back to Jerusalem. And where do they find a little 12-year-old Jesus? 
He's in the temple. He's teaching the elders. He's 12 years old, and he's teaching the religious leaders. He had the mind of Christ. He knew who he was. He knew where he came from. He knew where he was going. He knew what his purpose was. And guess what? There he sits teaching the elders. Listen to what he said. Listen to what he said here. My purpose is to give life in all of its fullness. Here's what Jesus was telling those elders. When mom and dad show up, they go, Jesus, what do you think you're doing? You had us scared to death. And Jesus kind of shrugs his shoulders and says, do you not know that I must be about my father's business? Can you imagine? Can you imagine the look on their face at that moment? He really is God's son. He really is Jesus. He really is Emmanuel. He really is God with us. Jesus clearly knew his purpose at age 12. I answered my call to ministry when I was 15 years old. That's not a boast. That's not a brag. I'm just stating a fact. At age 15, I went into music ministry. Stayed there, traveling the United States over with Michelle's uncle, Coleman Looper, until God called me to preach, and I've been preaching ever since. You can know your purpose in life, even from an early age. Let me ask you a question. Parents, parents, how well are you preparing your young children to know who they are in Jesus Christ? How, I, I know we spend a lot of time preparing children for the world, but how are we preparing our children for the kingdom of God that's going to last for all of eternity? Jesus' ministry continued to expand as he grew older. He didn't remain that 12-year-old little boy in the temple teaching the elders. He became more specific, announcing very specific details of what he came to do. John 10.10. My purpose is to give life. Folks, listen to what Jesus is saying here. Listen to the depths. Listen to the magnitude of this statement. Jesus said, I have come to give you life in all of its fullness. And he wasn't talking about a worldly-focused life. He was talking about the kingdom-minded life. He was talking about eternity that begins in the here and now. And Jesus said, when you take upon my mind and when you begin to think like I think and you begin to have the attitudes that I have and when you begin to have the actions that I have, your life will be revolutionized for all eternity. Right up to his death, Jesus' purpose was very clear. Look at John 12, 27. The night before Jesus was to be executed, he's praying, my soul is deeply trouble, he said. So what shall I say? Father, save me from this hour? No. 
No, it was for this purpose that I have come. So we know that Jesus knew who he was. We know that Jesus knew what his purpose was. And we get all of that when we get the mind of Christ, when we learn to think like Jesus. Number three, I'm always aware that God is with me. Boy, is that not a statement for the time in which we're living? How do you Christians stay calm through all of this? Why are you all some of the only people on the planet that aren't falling to pieces? Did you not know that the entire world is in an uproar? Did you not know that millions of people have been affected by the COVID-19 virus? Did you not know that thousands of people are dying? Why, why are you Christians so calm and cool through all of this? Because we're thinking with the mind of Christ. We know that this world is not our home. We know that to live is Christ. And most importantly, we know that to die is gain. Man, I love the mind of Christ in that I know beyond a shadow of a doubt the worst possible thing is the greatest possible thing that could ever happen to Steve Looper. The worst possible thing, according to the world standards, is, hey, you could die. That's the greatest thing that could happen in my life. I could go home. I've been homesick for 43 years. Ten-year-old boy, God saved me. Put a longing for heaven in my heart. I know this world is not my home. And I just see it constant. Have you not in your lifetime? I've even noticed the woods there where we used to live in Clark Range at mom and dad's place, surrounded by woods and things. You, you can spend just a, little bit, just a little bit of time out in nature and you can tell this whole world is in the process of dying. Have you not noticed that? This whole world is dying. I'm going to a place that has no death. I'm going to a place that has no sickness, has no hospitals, no doctors, no nurses, no nursing homes, no ERs, no IV antibiotics. Going to a place where you don't have to worry about those things. Going home. Going home to be with Jesus. I'm always aware that God is with me. Aren't you thankful for that? Not only do I know who I am, I know, I know my purpose. I know what God has called me to do. I'm living it out. And I'm always aware that God is with me. Again, we see this where? We see it predominantly in the life of Jesus Christ. Jesus lived constantly in the presence of God the Father, and he stayed connected with the favor of God. No matter how busy Jesus became, Jesus never allowed his ministry. Jesus never allowed the crowds. Jesus never allowed anyone or anything to cause him to lose the focus of the presence of God in his life. Look at these verses. John chapter 16 and verse 32. Jesus says, I am not alone because the Father is always with me. See, if you're a born-again believer this morning, you are in Christ Jesus. Can I get an amen? 
And if Jesus says, I'm always with the Father and the Father is always with me and we're in Christ Jesus, guess what we can say today? We can say with confidence, John 16, 32, I am not alone because the Father is always with me. That'll change your thinking. Fear cannot exist in the mind of an individual who knows God is with me. If God is with you, what do we have to fear? Nothing. The greatest cure for loneliness. Listen to me. The greatest cure for loneliness is thinking like Jesus. Jesus said, I know that I'm never alone because my Father is always with me. That's, that's one of the number one promises as a chaplain at Standing Stone Care and Rehab. That's one of the number one promises that I go room to room to room and share with folks who are very, very lonely. Hey, remember, God is with you. God loves you. Jesus is with you. The Holy Spirit is with you. And you begin to share Scripture and smiles come on their faces and they're just glad to get the reminder, no, I'm not alone. I'm never alone because God is always with me. When you feel lonely, when you feel like you're all alone, it's in those moments that you're not living with the mind of Christ. Because the mind of Christ knows at all times God is with me. Jesus said, I'm not alone. I know the Father is always with me. He was very aware of God's constant care in his life. Now listen, how about you? Can you say today that you are absolutely convinced and certain that God is always with you? So can we practice that more? Can we practice that more? Now, there are times that we don't have the mind of Christ. And there's times that we begin to feel lonely. There's times we begin to, fear, to, to feel fearful. What do we do in those moments? We do what Jesus did. Look at Luke chapter 5 and verse 16. Somebody read that out loud for me this morning. Jesus often. Will you circle that word in your listening guide there? Jesus often slipped away to be alone. Why? So he could pray. Now that word alone is interesting. Alone doesn't mean apart from the Father. Alone doesn't mean apart from the Holy Spirit. Alone meant from humanity. Often Jesus would slip away from others on planet earth so he could be alone with God, the Father. This is the mind of Christ. This is the mind of Christ. Often is a habit. Often is a habit. Jesus' prayer life was habitual. Now think upon this. If Jesus, the very Son of God, who has been with the Father for all of eternity, if Jesus felt the necessity to steal away and pray, he's Jesus. Say Jesus. So if Jesus felt the need to get away often and pray, what about us? I'm not Jesus. Far, far from it. 
But if Jesus felt the need to habitually pray and be alone with God, how much more should we practice the habit of prayer? You remember our 40 days of prayer campaign that we went through last fall leading up to this horrendous year of 2020? Remember one of the, remember one of the messages was how to pray throughout your day? And we were, we were taught to use the model prayer. You know, Jesus' disciples came and said, Hey, John taught his disciples to pray. Would you teach us to pray? And he said, Yes, pray in this manner. And it taught us that we are to pray from the moment we wake up to the moment we fall asleep. And it taught us how we can start before we get out of the bed, when we're getting ready, when we're eating breakfast, between breakfast and lunch, at lunchtime, between lunchtime and dinner time, at dinner time, when we're home relaxing, and finally when we put our head on our pillow at night, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Remember that? Again, if Jesus, the Son of God, knew the importance of slipping away and praying during his day, how much more do we need to practice this habit. Now, here's the consequences of what I'm trying to say here at this point. Here's the consequences. When we fail to spend quality time with God, we miss the gifts of God. When we fail to spend quality time with God, we miss the gifts of God. In other words, if I'm too busy for God, I'm out of God's will. If I'm too busy for God, I am out of God's will, and I'm just too busy. That was a great place for an amen. It's not God's will for me to be too busy for God. You'll get more done here, there, and everywhere if you learn to pause throughout your day and pray for God's guidance. You'll get more done. I don't have time to stop and pray. No, you don't have time not to stop and pray. You stop and pray and see how your days start going. See if that time in prayer is not very, very, very positive. Big benefit. We all need to pause, to reflect, to renew, to recharge throughout the day. Psalms 46 says this, Be still. Just be still and know that I'm God. When we look at the life of Jesus, we know that he knew who he was. We know that he knew what his purpose was. We know that he was always aware of God's presence. And when you get the mind of Christ, we too will have and experience those same things in our own life. Now let me give you number four. When we have the mind of Christ, I let God help me choose my words. Some of y'all need to pull up a front seat. Come right here. Listen closely. I'll use sign language. And me too. How many in the room, if we were being honest, need to listen closely right here? Say amen. I need to let God help me choose my words. When we are operating out of the mind of Christ, 
when we have the mind of Christ, when we think like Jesus, we do what Jesus did. What did Jesus do? Jesus allowed God the Father to choose His words for Him. Jesus says, I don't speak anything without thinking. I don't just run off at the mouth. I ask God to help me say the right words. Do you do that? Do I do that? Do we ask God to help manage our mouth? Here's an amazing verse. John chapter 12, verse 49. Jesus says, I, listen, I have not spoken on my own. Instead, the Father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should say it. Let that sink in. Question. Do you think you would have healthier relationships if you allowed God to choose the words you speak to those around you? Do you think there would be less conflict in your life if you only spoke the words that God said to speak? Everybody nod your head. Even some of y'all back are like fighting this, right? This stings, I'm telling you. If you find, nobody here, but if you were to find that your mouth gets you into trouble, can I give you the cure? Think like Jesus. Have the attitude of Jesus. Have the actions of Jesus. Have the words of Jesus. Put on the mind of Christ. Because Jesus said, the Father who sent me tells me what I should say and how I should say it. Number five. Ain't going to spend a lot of time there. Don't want to inflict too much pain, too much in injury there. Number five. Let me just say this. Steve struggles with this next one. Steve struggles with this one. I don't worry about pleasing everyone. Everybody likes a nice guy, but it ain't always good to be a nice guy. To have the mind of Christ, I don't worry about pleasing everyone. And some of you, like me, struggle with this one because by nature, we're people pleasers. And so we sometimes allow others to dominate and control our lives because we worry too much about what other people think. But if we put on the mind of Christ, if we learn to think like Jesus thinks, then we don't worry about pleasing everybody else. Instead, like Jesus, our main focus is, I'm going to please God. 
And when our focus is pleasing God, people will just have to take it or leave it. You see, Jesus was never manipulated by the crowds. Jesus was never manipulated by the crowds or by the approval or the disapproval of anyone here on planet Earth. He lived every moment of every day for an audience of one, God the Father, God the Father. When you have the mind of Christ, that's what you do. You live for the audience of one. You live to please God the Father. In John chapter 5 and verse 30, Jesus said, I only try to please the one who sent me. Wow! Does that not simplify life? I'm going to live my life to please God. And I'm going to leave it right there. Now, obviously... Jesus did a good job of this because in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 3, verse 17, we see God saying this, This is my Son in whom I'm well pleased. Now let me let you in on a little secret. Well, you might already know it, but let me remind you of something. How's that? Let me just remind you of something. Here's truth. Say, I can't. Please, everybody. Amen. That's good preaching, people. We can't please everybody. Guess who else can't please everybody? God. But he's not trying because he's God. So if God's not trying to please others, then we ought not to live life trying to to please others. As a pastor, I am extremely aware of the fact that I can't please everybody. So every day that I live, I'm going to try to please people less, and I'm going to try to please God more. And the more pleasing to God I am, and the more pleasing to God you are, the better off all of us will get together. Can I get an amen right there? Jesus said in Luke chapter 16, verse 13, you cannot serve two masters. In other words, you've got to decide who you're going to live for. You're going to live for God's approval or are you going to live for people's approval? You're going to live for what other people think or what God knows. When you have the mind of Christ, listen. When you have the mind of Christ, you will be so secure in your identity, in your purpose, you'll be keenly aware of God's presence in your life, and you won't need to look to other people for approval. God's okay with you. It's all good. Number six. This is big. Number six. I depend on God's power instead of my own. I depend on God's power instead of my own. When we have the mind of Christ, we depend upon God's power and not our own power. Have you noticed that so far, each and every verse of Scripture I've shared with you, other than the very first one, are all the words of Christ? Have you noticed that? That's on purpose. Because we hear Christ speaking everything the Father tells Him to speak. 
And if we're going to have the mind of Christ, we've got to listen to the words of Christ. Jesus said, I can't do anything on my own. John 5, 19. I assure you. Jesus said, listen, I assure you, I promise you, the Son can do nothing by himself. What a statement. Jesus is saying the Son can do nothing by himself. He can only do what he sees his Father do. If we spend all of life on planet Earth doing what we see the Father doing, what would life look like? We need to refocus our life. I said... We need to refocus our life. We need to learn to think like Jesus thinks. We need to have the attitudes of Christ. We need to have the actions of Christ. I assure you that the Son can do nothing by Himself. Now, if Jesus was that dependent on the Father, you're smart enough to figure out the rest of that. He said, I don't do anything by myself. I don't do anything on my own power. I don't do anything that's my own will or my own initiative. I do what God wants me to do. I just wait for the Father to tell me what to do next, and I do it. Are you one of those people that just feel tired all the time? Do you? Honestly. Especially in the things of God. Are you just exhausted living for God? You know, if you're tired and exhausted living for God, here's the problem. You're doing it in your own power. Jesus gave the analogy. He said, I'm the vine. You're the branches. And God the Father is the vine dresser. He's the garden keeper. God's, God's taking care of the vine, making sure the vine is healthy, making sure the vine is producing what the vine ought to produce. And we are the branches attached to the vine. And Jesus said the branches that are attached to the vine, they produce much fruit. Now how hard is it for a branch to produce fruit? It's not. Because what the vine draws from the soil, the nutrients and all the goodies that it needs, the vine pushes that into the branches and the branches get to display the fruit. That's the Christian life. Jesus is the vine. We're connected to the vine. The fruit pops out on us. Everybody goes, wow, look at them. You say, no, wow, look at him. Human energy runs out. Human power runs out. Jesus said, I'm the same yesterday, today, and forever, and I never change. Number seven. Now, then, I need to give you some safety advice here. Everybody just reach down. This week, I don't know if you noticed it, but we installed safety belts on the seat. So everybody, everybody reach down and get your seat belt and snap it up around you. I don't want you coming out of your seat on this one. This is a doozy. 
But I promise you, this will bring such reward to your life. To have the mind of Christ, I forgive. Say, I forgive. Who do we forgive? We forgive our enemies and those who hurt me. I promise you, I promise you, there are people in this room who this morning are carrying unforgiveness. Some of y'all have been carrying it for 10 years, 20 years, 30 years, 40 years. Let me see, let me look around. 50 years. Maybe 60. Or maybe 60 minutes. Let's talk about this for just a minute. To have the mind of Christ, I have to forgive my enemies. I have to forgive those who have hurt me, are hurting me, and still have future plans to continue to hurt me. I have to forgive or I can't have the mind of Christ. This is a hallmark of Jesus Christ. This sets Christianity apart from every other religion in all the universe. Even on the cross of Calvary, Jesus is saying, Father, forgive them. They don't realize what they're doing. Notice that. Where's Jesus at? He's hanging on a cross. He's hanging on a cross. He is in absolute agony. His life is draining out of him as he's hanging there. He's looking at the very people responsible for putting him there. And having the mind of Christ, Jesus speaks these words. Father, forgive them. How? Wow. Somebody cuts you off in traffic and you condemn them to hell for all of eternity. That's a fact. And less offenses than that. Well, their dog came over my property and took a dump. Never speak to them again in my life. Wow. And we call ourselves Christian? I say in 2020, we need to refocus our lives. I think we need to learn the mind of Christ and practice the mind of Christ. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. That's the mind of Christ. Let me ask you a question. Who has hurt you the most in life? Who has hurt you the most in life? 
Why are you holding on to that hurt? Why? When you hold on to hurt, who are you really hurting? Yourself. Unforgiveness is like drinking poison, hoping it'll kill the person you're holding the unforgiveness toward. You can't have the mind of Christ with unforgiveness in your heart. Ain't going to happen. Simply not going to happen. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. But here's the thing. Jesus doesn't stop with forgiveness. Jesus pushes the envelope. Look at this. Are you ready? Love. Say love. Now, folks, let's, let's not read this like we've always read it before. Let's read it right now the way it was written, the words of Christ. It's not optional. This is not take it or leave it. This is if you're a Christian, do it. Love your enemy. But, shut up. No but. Now that's harsh, ain't it? That's harsh. Love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those who hate you. Brother Steve, you think there's people on earth that really hate you? You're such a nice guy. You want a list? You want names and phone numbers? Pray for these people. Pray for people who despitefully use you or persecute you. Instead of waging social media war as a Christian, why don't we pray for these people? Because it's what Jesus says to do. Your enemies, and there are enemies, love them. Love them. Bless those who curse you as a Christian and us as Christianity as a whole. Bless them. Bless them. You want to mess with their minds? Start loving them. Start blessing them. Start praying for them. Start doing good to them. The Bible says you'll heap fiery coals upon their head. Wouldn't you like to see their hair catch on fire? Love them. Bless them. Pray for them. Do good things. Go mow their yard. And wave at them with a smile and say, have a nice day. I hate you. I love you. And you leave, and their hair catches on fire. 
It's the way it works. The mind of Christ. Now, here's what I want you to do. Take your listening guide and take your pen right now, and I want you to circle the verbs. I want you to circle the verbs. Circle love. Love is a verb. Love these people. Bless. Circle bless. Bless is a verb. I've got to bless those who don't bless me. Those who curse me, I've got to bless them. Do good. That's a verb. Do good. And finally, circle pray. Pray is a verb. Church, listen to me. This is what it looks like when you have the mind of Christ. They've not hung you on a cross, so just suck it up. And if they do, love them. Bless them. Forgive them. Do good to them. That's the mind of Christ. You can wear the T-shirt. You can wear the necklace. You can wear the bracelet. You can put the yard in your sign. You can put the little fish on the back of your car. You can have the sweetest things It's coming out of your lips. This is the mark of a believer because this is Jesus. This is Jesus. If you don't have the mind of Christ, you're going to have the mind of Satan. I'm going to say that again. If you don't have the mind of Christ, you're going to have the mind of Satan. You're going to have the mind of the world. And what's that going to do for you? It's going to leave you defeated, devastated, and eventually dead. Do not be deceived. A man sows. A man reaps what he sows. Write that down and date it and I'll autograph it. I didn't say it. The good book said it. Number eight. I'm willing to sacrifice for others. I'm willing to sacrifice for others. I know a lot of people who are willing to sacrifice for themselves, but I know very few people who are willing to sacrifice for others. John 10, 14 and 15, Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. I lay down my life for the sheep. Now, when Jesus said, I lay down my life, what Jesus is saying is, I give my life up. I, I'm, not, I'm not me. I'm not mine. I belong to the Father. I'm on a mission. I'm on a purpose. I'm here to give my life away for the benefit of other people. That's what it means to think like Jesus. In fact, he says several other times throughout Scripture that he came to serve, that he came to sacrifice, that he came to give. Mark chapter 10, verse 45. I came, I came here not to be served. Can you say that? Can you say, I'm not living my life to be served. I'm living my life to serve others. More than saying it, doing it. He said, but to serve others and to give my life as a ransom for many. You say, well, of course Jesus did that. He was Jesus. He was God's son. 
I'm not the Savior of the world, so I shouldn't have to lay down my life for other people. You know what? That doesn't matter. The bottom line is this. When you signed up for Jesus, when you entered the, when you entered the Lord's army, when you became a Christian, your goal was to become just like Jesus. No exceptions to the rules. Everybody in the room, I'm sure, knows this next verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him shall never perish but have eternal life. Everybody knows that one. How many knows 1 John 3.16? 1 John 3.16. This is how... We're going to say this together on the count of three. One, two, three. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. So see, never again, never again from this day forward, never again ever look at me and say, Pastor Steve, I love you if you're not willing to lay down your life for me. And from this day forward, I'm to never look at you again and say, hey, I love you if I'm not willing to die for you. What did he say? This is how we know what love is. Jesus gave us the definition. Now, Jesus didn't give us the definition in, in, in verbiage. Jesus didn't say it. Jesus said it, and then Jesus did it. Jesus did it. That explains perfectly in one verse, what it means to be a Christian. It says we ought to lay our lives down for each other. Number nine, when I have the mind of Christ, I want to do God's will, not mine. When I have the mind of Christ, I want to do God's will, not mine. When I'm thinking like Christ, when I have the mind of Christ, then I want to be like Christ. I want to be like Jesus. And what is Jesus like? Jesus wants to do God's will, not his will. John 6, 38, I came to do what God wants me to do, not what I want to do. I don't know how much more simpler to put it. Almost no one says that these days. Even in the church, even numbered among the Christians, nobody is saying, hey, guess what? I'm here on planet Earth to do what God wants me to do. I'm not here to do what I want to do. Most people are saying, I don't have time to do what God wants me to do because i got a short time here on earth, and you better bet your britches I want to do what I want to do because I'll do what he wants to do when I get over there. That's the attitude of Christian. I know what most of y'all are thinking. I don't know what you eat for breakfast this morning, preacher, but don't ever eat it again on Sunday morning. I'll tell you what it is. It's the breakfast of champions. It's called the word and prayer. I came to do what God wants me to do, not to do what I want to do. Wow. Because at the end of the day, at the end of my life, look at this verse. How do you want to be remembered? Jesus said, I want the world to know 
And I love the Father. Can you say that today? I want the world to know that I love the Father. And that is why I do everything exactly as the Father tells me to do. Here's what Jesus said. Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. The night before Jesus dies, he's praying in the garden. And he's praying this prayer, Father, not my will, but your will be done. Father, not my will, but your will be done. Philippians 2, 8 and 9. Jesus humbled himself and was fully, say fully, was fully obedient to God. And when that caused his death on the cross, even when that caused his death on the cross, so what did God do? So God exalted him and raised him to the highest place and made his name greater than every other name. You want to be great? Humble yourself. And when you humble yourself, God will decide where he wants you and he'll place you there and you'll thrive because you want the world to know that you love Jesus when you have the mind of Christ. Number 10, when I have the mind of Christ, I think with an eternal perspective. Most of the Christian world today are wearing blinders. And all we're looking at right now is pandemic, 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 pandemic. And God is saying, eternity, 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 eternity. I said the church world. You heard that part, right? Now, I expected of the world. I expect the world to be tore out of frame. They should be. Because pandemic means they're one step closer to death, grave, and hell. But for the church to be consumed with the pandemic is foolishness. It's pure foolishness. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door. And I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Can you sing that song? I'm not talking about singing it well because I sounded like a squashed monkey. I'm talking about from your heart. Can your heart sing that song this morning? This world is not my home. When I have the mind of Christ, I think with an eternal perspective. Now listen, it's proven, it's a proven fact that most humans can stand an enormous amount of pain if, number one, they find purpose in the pain, and number two, if there's a reward for the pain. Childbirthing is a top-notch example here. 
My wife was a warrior three took two times. Got three kids. How'd you do that? You're a miracle worker. You have two at a time, you can reduce pregnancies, can't you? Listen, when she was giving birth to Chelsea, she would wake up and push like a warrior, and when the contraction quit, she I mean, went out. The only way she could stay sane. First, I stand there next to her, I thought, somebody do something. And they're like, she's, it's okay, she's resting. Now, why did she endure that pain? Why did she endure that? So she knew there was a purpose there. The purpose was Chelsea. And there was a reward. The reward was Chelsea. And we thought about sending, never mind. Wait, never mind. It's, 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 been ver, it's a wonderful purpose and a wonderful reward. We're just thankful for Dustin. Dustin is a wonderful purpose and a great reward as well. But people can deal with a lot of pain when there is purpose and reward attached to it. That's why Jesus was able to endure the cross. There was great pain, great agony. I mean, pain and agony that we can't imagine. But he knew that was his purpose, and he knew the reward was eternity for him, his Father, the Holy Spirit, and all of God's family. So, folks, what's the moral of the story here? We can put up with a lot when we're thinking of eternity. We can put up with a lot when we're thinking about eternity. Hebrews 12, 2 says, Jesus was willing to die a shameful death on the cross because of the joy he knew would be his afterward. Now he's seated at the right hand of the Father in the place of highest honor beside God's throne in heaven. I'm going to quickly tell you two things that will get you to where you need to be. How do I think like Jesus? Here's how you think like Jesus. Michelle, y'all get ready. How, how, when the rubber meets the road, how do I think like Jesus? There's only one way to learn to think like Jesus. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the Word of God, and Jesus breathed out every word in this book. This is Jesus. This is Jesus on earth today. This is what Jesus said. This is what God said. If you want to know how Jesus thinks, read the book. Read the book every day. Read the book multiple times a day. As we teach here in Hope in Christ, you've got to hear it, You've got to read it, you've got to study it, you've got to memorize it, you've got to meditate upon it, and you've got to act on what it says, and you have to share it with others. You've got to share it with others. You've got to study his life, you've got to study his words, and they're found right here in this book. And look what Hebrews 12, 2 says, the truth will set you free. Amen? Number two. Not only do you have to study it, not only do you have to read it and know it, but you have to ask God to show me the meaning of what you're reading. It's called illumination. The Holy Spirit of God will reveal to you exactly what you're reading when you read the Word of God. This is the only book you can sit beside the author and read it together, and he'll explain every phrase in it. Did I not say that he's always with us just a few minutes ago? Brother Steve, I've tried reading the Bible. I can't understand it. Have you invited Jesus to explain it to you? 
because he can and he will. John 16, 15 makes this promise. The Spirit will take from what I have to say and make it known to you. Is that a promise? Will you claim that promise today? The Spirit will take from what I have to say and He will make it known to you. Would you bow in a word of prayer this morning? Father in heaven, thank you for our faith family. Thank you for hope in Christ's fellowship. Father, we ask you to raise up an entire new generation of people who think just like Jesus. Father, the minds of all people on planet earth have been darkened by sin, darkened by sickness and sadness and sorrow and secularization and so many other different things. Father, our world's a mess right now, and you know that. We desperately need men and women who think just like you. Father, we know that only changed people can change the world, and we're inviting you to start with us here today. Change us, transform us, transform our minds. But as we change, change the way we think, change the way we act, change the way we do life. Father, I pray that in the weeks ahead, as we look in detail as how to have the mind of Christ, that in humble obedience and in courageous faith, as Jim uh, prayed earlier today, God, make us bold, make us courageous in all these different qualities that we've looked at here today. Father, I pray that you'll transform us all into godly leaders that will make a difference in our world for your glory. Father, I pray that this week, this very week, that everybody listening will have a clear understanding of their identity, who you made them to be, what their purpose is, and what you put them on earth to do. And Father, we pray that they'll be keenly aware of your presence, that you're always with us, that we'll be aware of your values and that we'll spend our time on things that are going to last forever, not on the things that are going to last temporarily. Most importantly, Lord, we want to know you. With every head bowed and every eye closed, in this room and those watching by various media outlets, let me ask you a question today. To have the mind of Christ, you must know Christ. Without knowing Christ, you'll never have the mind of Christ and you'll never have eternal life. But today, by the power of the Holy Spirit and the power of the Word of God, if you know today beyond a shadow of a doubt, I'm not a child of God, I'm not a Christian, I'm not a believer, if God's dealing with you right now, drawing you to Him, here's the simplicity of what you need to do based upon the Word of God. Believing in your heart, confessing with your mouth right now, say these words. Dear God, I'm sorry for my sins. Thank you for allowing Jesus to die for my sins. Thank you for resurrecting Him three days later. Father, I believe in You. I believe in your son. Jesus, you're my Lord. You're my Savior. And here's the promise of God's word today. 
For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. If you're in this room today and you prayed that prayer with all sincerity, would you just slip your hand up and let me see your hand? Nobody's looking around, just me. Anybody in this room? God bless you this morning. God bless you this morning. God bless you this morning. If you're listening by Facebook or YouTube, and you trusted Christ as your Lord and Savior today, would you be bold enough to just type that in the comment right now and say, I trusted Christ. That's all you got to say. I trusted Christ. Let us know. Let us know. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's stand to our feet this morning, folks. I'm... I'm convinced that this message is going to change your life and change my life. I'm convinced that from the day of Pentecost forward, we've been living in the last days. That means 2,000 years have passed since the last days have begun. I'm not a prophet. I'm not a fortune teller. I don't know the moment he's coming back, but he's coming back soon. And he's coming back for those that are watching for him. And let me just let me tell you this, and I'll quit preaching. You can't be watching for him and watching the world at the same time. You've got to decide who you're going to watch. You're going to watch the returning Savior. You can watch the dying world. We've got to be kingdom-minded. We've got to be heavenly-minded. We've got to have the mind of Christ. If you need to pray this morning, feel free to come and pray. We've scooted our altars out because we don't want the speakers to blast you as you pray. But under each screen, if you want to come and pray and others come pray with you, come kneel right over here and pray as long as you want to pray. If you want to come and pray and be left alone and just pray in silence before you and God, just come right over here and kneel and pray. If you'd like for me to pray with you today, come right here in the middle. I'll be happy to pray with you. But as they sing this morning, this wonderful, wonderful,